right, welcome to Colonel's episode six. Six, yeah. Um, I guess this week is Warren Beatty, but um, before we get to that, I wanted to catch up with my colleague Clarice Lockery, who's um, been in Orlando, Florida for Star Wars Celebration since the last episode. So, Clarice, how long were you out there for? Uh, so it was four days altogether. Right. You're from the US, right? So was it nice to be back? Weird to be back? Um, yeah, I was kind of nervous because it was the first time being back since obviously Trump was elected. Yeah, <laughs> so, and right in the heartland as well in Florida. <laughs> yeah, I guess luckily Orlando, in terms of being kind of in the parks and the commercial bit of it, it's so removed yeah. from reality that you don't really feel any of yeah, that. Yeah, like America is just a weird playground. <laughs> yeah, it was just like being inside of a theme park the entire time, even when you weren't actually in the theme park. So yeah. it was okay. <laughs> and Star Wars Celebration, I wasn't really aware of it, but they've been doing it like on and off, right? As and when there's a big Star Wars happening, I think back into like the nineties or. Yeah. So it's been going on for a while and recently Disney started it, doing it every year. I think beforehand it was maybe every other year possibly. Yeah. Um, and so I think they're now uh, stopping doing that from next year onwards. So there won't be one next year. So yeah. I think they kind of did that just because just when these first films were coming out, they were trying to get as much presence as possible. Yeah. <laughs> and now that it's all worked out fine for them, they're probably... Because it, like it was a huge deal, wasn't it? It was talked about loads. It seemed to be a really massive event. Yeah, because I've noticed Disney has scaled back a lot on doing conventions in general for Star Wars in terms of uh, doing the San Diego one in particular. I think Disney like doing it at their own events, so they have a bit more control over yeah. it. So there's Star Wars Celebration, and there's also they have this other convention called D23 where they announce a lot of stuff so they can just kind of make sure that the focus is all on Disney as opposed to like the other studios. Yeah. I guess they have the ability to do that. So. Yeah, I guess... Maybe, I don't know, more people are going to do that. Do Marvel have their own one? I feel like they must do. No, not yet. I think they kind of team up with D23 a little bit, because D23 is like all Disney. Um, right, yeah. But I would not be surprised if, if they, they did away, yeah. One. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is it like, so it's, um, it's fan-based, isn't it? It's like very much for the fans. Um, yeah, so it's kind of, the structure of it is very kind of controlled by Disney and Star Wars itself. So it's all very, very official in how it actually plays out. But in terms of who's attending, it's a lot of very hardcore fans, like yeah. people who have traveled across from like across the world, across the country to attend. So it's quite it's quite intense, like yeah. in a really nice way. But it's yeah. it, it a hardcore cosplay and all that kind of thing. Yeah, there is there is Quite a few people I had no idea who they were dressed up as, and I had to like go on my phone and look it up and be like, eh. "Yeah, what is?" So you got like obviously the panel areas. What is happening at the at the convention like that? So away from those, are there less like stands and little pop pop up kind of? Yeah, so uh, there was one very, very big convention floor. It's absolutely huge, like miles long, <laughs> and yeah. uh, it was kind of a combination of both like stores for merchandise, like people selling a lot of vintage Star Wars stuff, uh, people selling t-shirts and weird collectible things. Uh, and then there was another section which was kind of all the fan clubs, like there's a big thing called, the, I think it's called the 501st, it's like a stormtrooper thing where they all dress as stormtroopers and they meet at these kinds of events. So there's a lot of those kinds of stands um, and also people who have like 
customize their own Star Wars related cars, <laughs> which are like BB-8 and flames coming off the side, <laughs> which is interesting to see. <laughs> and then the, the focus was The Last Jedi, I'm guessing, right? Yeah, which was interesting. They didn't talk at all about the Han Solo film, like not even really? one mention of it, because I think they really wanted to just focus on The Last Jedi. Yeah. Um, and specifically, I think this year was all very female focused, which was nice because um, obviously it's the first celebration since Carrie Fisher passed yeah. away. So there's a lot of um, tributes to her and also Last Jedi with Rey. Um, and they have this new initiative called Forces of Destiny, which is all very female focused. So I think that's maybe why they didn't bring up the Han Solo movie, because it's like the one male focused yeah, film yeah. that <laughs> didn't quite fit into this year's theme. So I'm sure next year it will be all we hear about. Yeah. What did you like take away from it beyond all the plot details and little kind of minutiae you get from an event like that? What was your kind of your impact you were left with? Um, I really, I really loved it. I think just being in a place where everyone is kind of brought together by this one very simple thing. It had such this very pure, very positive environment. Like so many people just came up to me and started talking to me because we all knew that we all love Star Wars. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. Like, there's no shame there. Just yeah, <laughs> there was like an opening conversation point. So no one felt kind of awkward around each other and everyone was very kind to each other and very polite and um, it was, this very kind of almost family kind of atmosphere and I think it was something weirdly I was weirdly uplifted by it which I didn't yeah. expect to be because I thought oh it would be fun and like nerdy and stuff like that but I actually come away feeling like a bit better about the world yeah was something nice. I did not expect yeah and so they've got um so this year is the Han Solo movie no this year is the is Star Wars 8 right and then Han Solo yeah. movie is the year after that then, yeah. then it's got nine, and then, then that's nine. the only thing they've announced, right? I feel like obviously it's been so successful and crazy, like done crazy well at the box office that they're definitely going to continue. What do you think is going to come after that? Are they going to try and start a new saga, or is it going to be more spin-offs? Or um, one thing I did find interesting is Kathleen Kennedy at one point thanked everyone for going to see Rogue One because I think. Disney were very worried about that film. I get the sense, yeah. and to see it have done so well and she like thanked her being like thank you for coming and thank you for making it so successful i feel like the studio feel a lot more secure now and which is kind of nice because i think we can expect maybe some weirder spin-offs now and maybe more like marvel are doing because marvel are very confident at yeah. the moment so they're throwing out like weird space comedies and just whatever and it's great um, so I wouldn't be surprised if Star Wars started taking that direction and they did, you know, some weird minor characters or they'll probably yeah. do a Boba Fett film, I'm sure. Because they've been scooping up indie directors but they're not necessarily letting them go skew so weird with it, have they, so far? But maybe that's something they'll... Yeah. Yeah, I know Guillermo Del Toro like, wants to do a Boba Fett movie, doesn't he? I think he wants amazing. to do a Jabba the Hutt movie. movie. <laughs> be better, yeah. Which, and I think Taika Waititi also wants to do a Jabba the Hutt movie. So I think they, I don't know, they're going to have to fight it out. But <laughs> there probably will be a Jabba the Hutt movie, I guess. Yeah. All right, well, I'm sure you'll get back to your desk for the scoops. But yeah, um, yeah thanks for talking today. <laughs> Thank you. So my guest this week is Warren Beatty, who's just someone you don't think you're ever going to meet, you know, one of those big Hollywood legend types. Um, yeah, that you just don't you don't expect. You think you're always going to hear about, but never speak to. 
Um, and maybe because he'd kind of gone quiet recently. He last made a film, well, last directed and wrote a film in 1998. So it's been you know, nearly 20 years. And he's an 80-year-old guy, and he wrote this thing, directed it, co-produced it, starred in it, which is pretty... Pretty amazing, and you know something we could, however, whatever the quality of the film ended up being, we could, we should all just aspire to anyway to be being that on top of things at that point in your life. Um, the film he's made is Rules Don't Apply, which is kind of about Howard Hughes. Which when I first heard about that, and you're probably the same, your mind immediately jumps to The Aviator, one of Scorsese's. Maybe I think maybe Scorsese's best film. Um, and you kind of think, well, what's what's the point in doing that story? How can you ever top that? But it doesn't it doesn't try to. Uh, whereas the Aviator was a very you know intense drama, Rosalind plays much of a more kind of a classic Hollywood, slightly comedic, romantic kind of beast. And and Howard Hughes is only the like the deuteragonist in it. Um, it's really about this young couple played by Lily Collins and. Aidan Ehrenreich, who are like a driver and an aspiring actress, and it's kind of all more about their story, but then how Howard Hughes, this huge, you know, innovator and producer, how he kind of hangs heavy over everything in Hollywood and seems to have influence everywhere. So it's an interesting movie just to see a vision of Hollywood that doesn't exist anymore by someone who is actually there for it. And to add another layer of fascination, this is something I ask Warren about, is the fact that there are some similarities between the two <laughs> in the terms of how Howard Hughes is this big character hanging over Hollywood and known to love control over things and Warren Beatty's kind of the same thing going on so we, we touch upon that a little bit as well. Beatty's, you know, he's Mr. Showbiz. This is the guy that added an extra letter to his surname just so it would have the same number of letters as his first name and then look great, lit up in lights. Yeah, we talked a little bit about the movie and his, you know, really long-spanning career. And it's interesting seeing how... Because the industry's changed so much and he's still very on on top of things. And, and given I'm, like, amazed by how much things have changed just in a few years, seeing someone who's really seen the experience of going to a movie change hugely, is, it, was, it was interesting. And before you wonder, no, I didn't ask him about the Oscars gaffe because I feel like he'd been asked probably 200 times by this point and... It, <laughs> He probably would have walked out of the room, which I wouldn't have blamed him for, because, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I hope you enjoy our chat. So, um, it's been 15 years since you last directed a feature. Um, was that a, a consciously wanting to take a break from film, or was it more a case that the projects you were working on in between didn't get off the ground for whatever reason? I would say if I had to oversimplify the answer to that question, I'd say it has to do with my kids. Right. They were just too interesting for me to become passionately involved in putting a movie together. It does require a certain amount of, what's the word? I don't want to use the word passion. I guess I have to. Um, and, and, you know, I had kids late, and they're completely fascinating. And uh, it's the best thing that has happened to me is meeting in that Benning yeah. and having these kids so uh, I, I've kind of now I'm we're moving into empty nest syndrome so things that I've been kind of yeah. floating around in the back of my mind I may go ahead and and do when I can't avoid it basically you could say I'm what's the word I'm trying to avoid the word lazy but uh, I would say uh, I don't think anyone accuse you of being lazy. <laughs> uh, well, it, it's a, it's an interesting uh, 
process putting together a movie that is not necessarily some sort of commercial guarantee, you know. In other words, um, I, I've sort of tried to avoid doing movies that were in the rearview mirror. Do you love anime, gaming, movies, and discovering how your favorite pop culture affects everything you do? Then join us on Crunchyroll Presents The Anime Effect. I'm Nick Friedman. I'm Lee Alec Murray. And I'm Leah President. Every week you can listen in while we break down the latest pop culture news and dish on what new releases we can't get enough of. Whether you love movies. I'm going to tell you all about the uh, hopeful 4K re-release of Tron Legacy that happens. (laughs) (laughs) I'm right there with you. Or music. The music in this show is absolutely incredible. Or anime. And under this mask is... Another mask. <laughs> you can discover your new favorites right here on The Anime Effect. Listen every Friday wherever you get your podcast, and watch full video episodes on Crunchyroll or on the Crunchyroll YouTube channel. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In what sense? Well, they don't interest. They've been done. Yeah. In other words, and as we experience the era of sequels and um, tent poles and theme parks mm. and yeah. water slides, uh, the um, it's, it becomes a little less interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, Howard Hughes isn't a superhero, but at the same time, he is someone who has been featured on the big screen a lot. What was it about him that made you want to tell his story and tell it in a different way? Well, I don't feel I'm telling in this picture a story about Howard Hughes. I think I'm using Howard Hughes as, I I think it's an oversimplification to to call it a device, but what I really wanted to tell is what it was like for two young kids to come to Hollywood in 1958 when I came. Kids who had grown up in an an atmosphere of... um, what I keep saying is uh, made us the laughing stock of Europe, the, the American sexual uh, puritanism, uh, mm-hmm. and um, and then coming to a to a town, Hollywood, which was kind of in the business of selling what's sexy, and that uh, the obstacles uh, and, and the consequences of this uh, American sexual puritanism. Howard Hughes, to me, was always uh, a source of uh, what the word would be amusement. Mm-hmm. I always found his his need to be mysterious kind of unnecessary in the same way that I would be fascinated by Greta Garbo because I didn't know what was really going on. And I never met her either. I never met Hughes. I, I, I like to say that I feel that I met everyone who had met Hughes, and I would hear these stories, and I thought they were kind of ridiculous, yeah. and um, they made me laugh, and I thought that that it was a good basis for a romantic comedy involving that period, 
and uh, the consequences of that Puritanism. Yeah. So was the plan then for him to be slightly secondary to it, and it would be about the, the young? Oh, young yeah, the, the movie's really about the, the yeah, two kids. Yeah. Um, and and, and you, I think uh, I had fun with the character of Howard Hughes, but I'm very aware that when you, ta- you, you take an actor and you cast that actor in the, as, as a person who actually lived, well, you're already in trouble yeah. once it's not the person who actually lived. And so I think that you take liberties. And, um, and then I, at, at one time, you've seen the movie. Yeah. Yeah. At one time I had the quote uh, of Henry Ford saying, history is bunk. And then another quote by Napoleon who said, history is a set of lies agreed upon. And then I abandoned those quotes. I had one from Churchill the, uh, and, and wound up with just a quote from Howard Hughes, which is never check an interesting fact. Yeah. So Hughes's life was filled with gossip about him because he was never there. And having uh, been gossiped about myself since 1959, um, I... Um, um, I know how little truth there is in most what would be called in show business uh, publicity. Or yeah. um, you know, I was going to say because you're um, you're known as someone who casts a long shadow over Hollywood and someone that likes control when it comes to aspects of production stuff. Were you cognizant that people might make that comparison to to Howard Hughes like going into the movie? Well, um, I think that it, down, down deep that Howard Hughes kind of wanted to be a movie actor. Yeah. But I think he, uh, he wasn't. And uh, he did have the wherewithal to put together a public display in many ways, in, in quite a number of fields. And I don't want to diminish him too much. I just feel that I, I, I did not make a movie, I did not want to make a movie, that um, emphasized the importance of um, things that he did, you know, in the field of aviation, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's a lot of talk now about how the role of film has changed and, and maybe how its importance has declined in, in pop culture and whether a lot of films now lack the grandeur that they once used to, certainly in terms of in dramas. I'm wondering how you feel about the state of film these days. Well, how, how do, uh, uh, you can say grandeur, grandeur, but maybe also the importance. And what I think is that we are, we're getting close to um, a, a realization of what is going to return this thing that David Lean once said to me was the great near art form of the 20th century, uh, that to return to its seriousness, having to do with uh, uh, where we see movies, how we see movies, um, that movies will become uh, more like books. We, and, uh, we will, uh, because of the possibilities involved in home entertainment, and the, 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 the size, the improvement of the, of the home screen, that we're on the verge of, um, of positive step. We went into an era where films, in the late 70s, where films were released on, in the first one that went wide was 600 theaters, and then a few weeks later it was 700 theaters, and then it was 2,000 and 3,000, et cetera, where everyone had to get the joke on a Friday night for the thing to be successful. Yeah. So down deep, this is a, a business. 
it's a, it, it's it, it has to do with <laughs> money and um, yeah by that by that same virtue though I feel like maybe a movie like shampoo for instance which I love I can't imagine it would reach so many people that it, it did now or it would be made in the same way and have such a bleak ending. I don't know if you feel that way at all. The way, you know, films like Midnight Cowboy were huge. They were the big film that everyone was going to see as opposed to Superman or whoever. Well, I, I think that uh, what we call the tent poles or the sequels, uh, um, I think it takes more to get us to leave the house and uh, get into the car and go and uh, you kind of know have to know what you're go where you're gonna. Somewhat analogous now to restaurants, you want to know you've been there. Yeah. So you want to go back. And um, I think that um, um, uh, that I should shut up. <laughs> I, I I think that um, there's a lot. I could go on and on and bore you to death about what I think is. Uh, around the corner. I think that uh, there will be a time soon when exhibition, that is theater owners, will return to the financing of movies as they were pro prohibited from doing by the consent decree of the Supreme Court in 1948 because they were a monopoly. But that monopoly does not, that rule does not apply any longer. And, uh, and that I think when the economics are right, that the theater owners, uh, by the way, it was the theater owners that caused the motion picture form to be pretty much two hours long so that tickets could be sold twice in one night. Mm. I think that's not necessarily going to uh, continue yeah. that way. I think we're seeing it in developments in television and that the form itself is wide open for development. Yeah, yeah, I think there'll always be a fondness for the cinema experience, and it has to adapt. People will always end up going back, going back there. I think, as well as consuming it in their own homes. But um, and just finally, uh, I know you obviously Bullworth was one of the films you made um, before this, and there were talk of maybe doing a sequel or something. Has has what's been happening in America over the last few months kind of reinvigorated you politically? Or I will pretend that I did not hear you. <laughs> <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks yeah. very much. Okay. It's good <laughs> to Cheers. talk to you. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.